Amen. One other thing before we get into the study, just a praise report. We had been praying for my, my nephew, Mark. He had been missing. And, uh, you know, one of the things that the, uh, the officers or the detectives, whoever, they communicated to us, they said that you normally don't find, you know, missing persons. And so that was not really an encouraging word. But, you know, it was through your prayers, I believe, God's grace, you know, he was found. And so I thank God for that. He's okay. And so thank you for your prayers. Please continue to pray for him. Um, his name is Mark, and he can really use your support. But if you have a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 9 today. As we have a tremendous lesson for us here out of Luke chapter 9. Um, I've shared with you already the context that we're studying is basically the Lord uh, equipping his disciples to carry the baton. The Galilean ministry is over. And now most people will tell you that this section of the Bible is the training of the twelve. He's really training his disciples on how to live, how to expand the kingdom of God. You know, and maybe we're not there with, you know, that type of title. Maybe we're not apostles with a, a capital A But we are apostles, man. We are here for the kingdom of God. And I pray that we would know that, that we wouldn't be distracted. You know, there's a really cool verse in 2 Timothy. You know, it it talks about how we're soldiers, and that's who we are. And the Bible says, therefore, don't be entangled with the affairs of this life, that you may please him who enlisted you as a soldier. You see, the problem I think a lot of times that we can be susceptible to is we get caught up with this life and we get entangled with this life. And we forget, man, that this is just, you know, a a journey that we're passing through. This is a war that we're fighting. Um, We are soldiers to be caught up in the kingdom of God and to, to be doing his work and not our own work. And I think when we have that understanding, a study like today will really, you know, encourage us. It will challenge us to really wake up and to rise up and to be the disciples of Jesus Christ in these last days that we live in. Now, as you go through the study today, the way that I kind of separated it is kind of an applicatory prayer. I'm going to give you guys three things, and they're kind of like, you know, ways that we can apply the study to us, even ways that we can pray, you know, to the Lord to help us to apply it. The first thing we're going to see is help us, Lord, to listen to your predictions help us lord to listen to your predictions because look what you read right here in verse 43 it says and they were all amazed at the majesty of god but while everyone marveled at all the things which jesus did he said to his disciples let these words sink down into your ears for the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Here we see the Lord giving a prophecy, giving a prediction, so to speak. The dictionary defines a prediction as saying something specific will happen in the future. You know, again, we as Christians call it prophecy due to the fact that it's divinely inspired, it's the word from the Lord. And there in verse 44, Jesus says, let these words sink down into your ears. The NIV says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. And one version says, take these words to heart. Another says, listen to me. 
And remember what I say. You know, here we see again the context as Jesus healed a boy by casting out demons. A demon that the apostles couldn't cast out. A demon that required, you know, prayer and fasting to be cast out. And so if you look at the context here, the apostles witnessed that miracle, the power of Christ, and it was amazing, and they were all marveling. You know, and that's cool. When you see the work that God does, it's amazing, and it's okay to spend some time marveling, but we need to make sure that we add to that this whole, you know, reality of listening, really listening to the Lord. You know, I found that a good listener is not only appreciated by his friends, but he learns from his teachers. You know, and that's what's cool. You guys come to church service, man. And one thing I noticed about you is that you're different. You're not here, you know, just to check off your box and say, okay, I went to service today. You know, I think, I, I, think I, ha- I pray that you have the heart like Samuel. It says, Lord, you know, speak for your servant listens. And that's what we see the Lord encouraging his apostles to do. Cool, we got the miracle. You guys see it. You know, you're wondering, you're marveling. Cool. Let these words sink down into your ears. And then he gave them the prediction, right? You see, we really need to cultivate the lost art, the lost heart, I think, of listening. You know, it's one thing to hear sounds someone says, but it's quite another thing to put those sounds together and then to plant them in your heart. You know, and listening to our teachers in life is very important, but listening to the giver of life obviously is vitally important. And that's where we're at right now. You know, in my Bible, I don't know if you guys ever write in your Bible, but in my Bible, I actually circled the word let. Let these words sink down into your ears. You know, it's a mission of permission. If you don't let the words sink down, if you're not there at that moment acting like a spiritual sponge, then you're not going to understand it. It will be hidden from your eyes, the Bible says. That's what happened to them, right? And they were even afraid to ask questions. Jesus said, let these words sink down into your ears. It's almost as if listening is a mission of permission. We must open our ears. We must find the key, so to speak, unlock the door, turn the knob. We've got to open our hearts, especially here it is right here. To all you guys who have been Christians for a long time, all you guys out there who got the Bible figured out, and you're no longer open to the teaching of the Lord. You know, we've got to come to that place with God where we say, Lord, reach me, teach me. I admit today, I do not know everything. Are we there? You know, because if you think you know everything, you've got it all figured out, you already know what that verse means, and tell you what, you've already closed your ears. That's why you've got to listen to the Lord. The apostles weren't really listening. They didn't let the word sink down. Why? Because they already had preconceived ideas of what the Messiah was supposed to do. According to their theology, the Messiah had only a crown to wear, not a cross to bear. According to their theology, he would set up his kingdom victoriously with the military might of David. He wouldn't be defeated by the Roman army. You see, they thought they had their Bibles all figured out, that there was only one coming of Christ. They didn't see something so clearly written in the Bible that there was actually two comings of Christ. You see, the first time he came as a lamb, the second time is when he comes as a lion. Then he will rule. The first time he would be rejected in Jerusalem, they didn't see that. The second time, it wasn't until the second time that he would reign in Jerusalem. And they didn't see something so clearly taught in the Bible. Why? Because they thought they already had it figured out. They had their preconceived ideas. 
You see, their theology was wrong. Their eschatology was off. And the worst part about it is they were not open to correction. So they would not get it because they would not let it. They would not let the words of Christ enter into their ears. Why? Because they had preconceived ideas. You know, what a difference it would have made, huh, if only they would have listened, you see? You know, this is not only the things that Jesus has predicted there, but we even today, you know, we need to understand that there's other things that Jesus predicts ahead, and that's why we need to listen and maybe even ask questions, you know? Uh, The only dumb question is the question that's not asked, right? You know, what are some of the things ahead for us in life? I just want to get into you real quick. Four things that Jesus says are ahead for us. Did you guys know that he predicts the future? One is this, that you're, go- you're probably going to die. Unless you get raptured, number one, you're going to die. Amen? Are you guys okay with that? You guys ready for that? You know, this body, it's kind of winding down, you know. I mentioned to you already this 27-year-old guy, 27 years old. He went to sleep. He didn't wake up. None of us knows when we're going to die, and we've got to understand. Listen to the predictions of the Lord. Over in Luke 12, 16 through 21, Jesus told this guy, Tonight your soul is required of you. None of us knows if tonight's the night. And when you're living in light of that understanding, Jesus predicting the future, I think it helps you. Moses said, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If we know that our days are numbered, if we know that I might die today or tomorrow, if we know that understanding regarding the future, we're really listening to the Lord, then we will live today the way God wants us to. And I think it helps when we listen to the predictions of the Lord. Number one, we're going to die. Number two, he's coming in the rapture of the church. That's another prediction that he speaks about in Matthew 24, 37 through 42. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women, they're grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. It can happen at any time. And when you really listen to the predictions of the Lord, I think it helps you understand there's an urgency. He who has his hope in himself, the Bible says, purifies himself, listening to the predictions of the Lord. You know, there are those that believe that when Jesus comes for the rapture of his church, that the whole church is going to go no matter what. But there are others who say, you know what, he's just coming for those who are in love with him. You know, and we got to be so careful. We have to be people who are watching and waiting and ready, so to speak, for the rapture. You know, that's what happens when we listen to the predictions of the Lord Another thing that's ahead, according to Matthew 24, 21 through 22, is the tribulation period. These are all things that Jesus spoke about regarding the future of mankind, death, the rapture, the tribulation period, Revelation chapter 6 through 19. It talks about how there will come a time God will rapture up his church and God will judge the world. It's going to be basically hell on earth. And you don't want to be left behind for that period of time. You know, if you're here, um, understand the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the Gentile church. I don't know how you're going to make it. If you're here, you're going to have to live a life of Christianity that basically is willing to die because they'll have to, they'll kill you if you're a Christian, right? It's going to be a crazy time in church history. It's going to be a crazy time in the history of the world. There's going to be no time like it. But what we see is, because sometimes people say, well, you know what, if I'll wait for the rapture, and then I'll see it's true, and then during the tribulation period, I'll die. I'll give my life for Christ. I'll be martyred for him. 
But the question is, if you can't live for the Lord now, what makes you think you're going to be willing to die for him later? You won't. And see, when you're really listening to the Lord, because of his love, he tells us things to come about death. He tells us things to come about the rapture. He tells us things to come about the tribulation period. He tells us things to come ultimately about a couple of places, one called heaven, one called hell. See, this is the future, and we need to listen to the Lord. And the Bible says in Matthew 5, 29 through 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, pluck it out. Your right eye causes you to sin. I'm sorry. Pluck it out. Cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Matthew 10, verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, and that's what Jesus talks about regarding the future. And he talks a lot about hell. He talks about heaven. You know, I love what he says in John 14. He says, man, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again to receive you, that where I am, there you may be also. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. And see, these things in our future, they're very important for us to understand. You know, sometimes we're living life here on earth and we're like, man, I don't get it, man. I'm a Christian, but things aren't like lining up. It's not hunky-dory, you know. And God's saying, well, you're not home yet. One day we will be home, we'll be healed, we'll be whole. There'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more chaos. We're not home yet. We're fish out of water right now. And that's why it's cool to look ahead and to know that heaven is not just a destination, it's a motivation. And the Lord wants to encourage us. The Lord wants to warn us. The Lord wants to challenge us. Let these words sink down into your ears. Things like death and the rapture, the tribulation period, heaven and hell. And I think when we listen... And then God does a great work. And I think right here when the Lord is speaking to them in verse 44, he says, man, let these words sink down into your ears. Why? Because the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. He wanted to prepare them, but they would not listen. And so let's learn from their mistake, okay? First thing we see today, help us, Lord, to listen to your prediction. The second thing we see today is help us, Lord, to lessen the friction. Because look what it says in verse 46. It says, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, he took a little child and set him by him and said to him, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. We're going to see some friction. First thing we're going to see is the terrible, sickening, frustrating, nauseating friction that can happen between leaders, between people in the ministry who want to be the greatest. And it's an ungodly ambition that really, you know, makes us want to throw up, you know. 
I mean, here the Lord, he looks into their heart. Notice again there in verse 47, he sees the thought of their heart. And he sees the fact that they're all caught up in, you know, wanting to have a position. He sees inside the heart of the apostles at this time, it's bad that, you know, something unfortunately common even among Christians. They were arguing, it says in verse 46, about who was going to be the greatest. You know, they thought Jesus was about to set up his kingdom, so they argued with one another, each presenting their own case about how they should sit at Jesus' right hand, how they were the man. They should be the one with the place of power. You know, they were listening a little bit too much to the likes of Muhammad Ali. You say, I'm the greatest, right? I'm the greatest. How sick is that? You know, and I don't know how it works. I think some people are more competitive than others, huh? How many of you here hate to lose, just out of curiosity? How many of you here, you hate to lose so bad that you cheat, just out of curiosity? <laughs> you know, and, and there's some, I guess there's a, there's a part in that whole thing where that can actually be good sometimes. You want to win, you know, for the Lord. But just make sure you don't want to win for yourself. That's all. Because sometimes I see there's this competitiveness, even among Christians, that just does not belong in the kingdom of God. And the Lord here is really, you know, teaching them how to live in the kingdom, man. You know, first of all, Lord, help us to listen to your predictions, to look ahead and to be warned. Lord, help us to lessen the friction. First of all, when it comes to that place and position of ministry, man, we've got to make sure that we have the right heart. Here we see that Luke tells us Jesus simply took a little child. I love what he does. And he brought him close. And he essentially said, listen, if you have a heart willing to receive a little child, to serve a little child, who is especially not esteemed in those days, then you receive me. And if you receive me, then that means you receive the Father. And the Father happens to be the top of the Trinity. And it's then that you will be great. But if you have it in your heart that you want to be greatly esteemed among men, And not God. Listen, it's not going to happen. You see, God teaches that. I believe part of the application here is children's ministry in the church building. Children's ministry here, there, and everywhere. How beautiful are the children. But I believe the primary application here is definitely having a simple, humble heart. Having no problem to be considered the least among men. Why? Because then and only then, only when we have that type of heart, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what position or place I hold. It's only then that we will be great in God's sight. Whatever you do, you guys, don't go looking for position or longing for power. Remember that greatness in God's eyes is simply a heart of humility. One guy said this, being humble involves the willingness to be reckoned a failure in everyone's sight but God's. Oh, you don't have, you know, what the Joneses have, huh? I guess you didn't really make it in life, huh? Uh, You know what? I don't know. You know, that's the Lord's call. I tell you what, man, just trying to serve the Lord. It doesn't really matter where. You see, that's where it's got to be. You might remember the words of F.B. Meyer. He said, I used to think God's gifts were on shelves one above the other, and the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. I now find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other, and that it's not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower. See, do I long to be great now or later? 
Do I long to be great in men's eyes or God's eyes? Do I long to be great superficially or genuinely? The Lord here says the road to greatness is the road of humility. So someone might ask, well, what about you, Manny? You're a pastor, you know, and, you know, how did that happen? And to be honest with you, I don't know. I just, I, God has a sense of humor. Maybe it's something like that, you know. But I do know this, that I never like, oh, I'm going to be a pastor. That was never in my heart. I think the best thing for us to do is just wherever you're at, be faithful. Wherever we're at, it doesn't matter if we're the janitor. It doesn't matter if we're, you know, in the children's ministry. It doesn't matter if we have the cleaning ministry. Just wherever you're at, be faithful. And then just don't worry about it. The Bible says in Psalm 75 that God is the one who raises up and he puts down. Exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. It comes from the north. And you let God do it. And it's a really it's a really cool thing. But there's also another possibility. Here I am, I get to be the pastor, and everybody's like, wow, he's the pastor. But you know what? In God's eyes, there's so many of you here that are much greater than me. I have no doubt about that. And that's why we have to have spiritual eyes to see things God's way. See, the first thing we see regarding the friction is make sure you guard yourself against ungodly ambition. Secondly, against ungodly division. Because look what it says in verse 49. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Lord, help us to listen to your predictions. Lord, help us to lessen the friction. Sometimes it's friction between leaders, people in ministry who want that, you know, position. Sometimes it's friction just in the church in general. And there's not only ungodly ambition, but there's really ungodly divisions within the church. You know, John probably thought he was going to impress Jesus. You know, he probably thought the Lord was going to give him a high five, right? Because John saw someone casting out demons in Jesus' name. And since the guy didn't hang out with them, he told him not to. And Jesus said, he's not wrong, you're wrong. And that's a heavy thing. You see, there's only two teams on planet Earth. Those who are for him, those who are against him. And you don't want to come against those who are for him, lest you fight yourself, find yourself fighting against God. But I think even in the church, we forget that. You know, one of the things I want to encourage you guys, because I really want us to grow to be a church with discernment, a church that's mature, is to know when to divide and when not to divide. If you can figure that out, man, you will be blessed in life. Augustine said this, on the essentials, unity, on the non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity. And that's a great advice. And so if the church down the street or if that guy on the radio, whatever it is, if they hold to the essentials of the faith, the main things, the plain things of the Bible that save us, then don't forbid them. Don't come against them. You know, I see some guys that do just that. I guess they think they're impressing Jesus and their self-righteousness. And the fact that they think they've got a lock on the Bible, but in all reality, they're disobeying the words of the Lord. In all the reality, they're defying the power of the Lord, the prayer of the Lord, who in John 17, what did he pray for? Do you guys remember when Jesus prayed? We have a record of what Jesus prayed. Do you remember what Jesus prayed? He prayed that they would be one. 
The primary heart of the prayer of Jesus Christ for his church was unity. And when we divide, when we're not supposed to divide, you are going against the prayer of Christ. And so it takes the mature Christian to realize, you know, that, you know, Calvary Chapel is not the way, the truth, and the life. Did you guys know that? I mean, we're close. No, I'm just joking. We're, we're not, you know. We're, we're another church. We love Jesus. We believe what we believe. But we're not the only church. And so we need to be careful that we listen to what the Lord tells us to do. You see, we see the friction caused, number one, by ungodly ambition, number two, by ungodly division, and number three, by ungodly confusion. Because look what happens in verse 51. Now, it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers before him, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them. And he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Lord, help us to listen to your predictions. I know it's going to help us if we, if we do. Lord, help us to lessen the friction. You know, not jockeying for position. Lord, not dividing when we should not be dividing. And Lord... Help us to understand that, you know, your heart, the dispensation that we live in right now is a time of God's love. It's a time of God's grace. You know, confusion is always ungodly. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says God is not the author of confusion. These guys were definitely confused. Here we see that Jesus is set in his journey to go to Jerusalem. He's kind of in a hurry to clutch the cross. He's getting ready to go there. And, you know, if you were to look at a map, you would see Galilee down here, and then you would see Samaria right above it. I'm sorry, right here is Galilee, then right here is Samaria, then right below it is Jerusalem. So obviously the direct route is just to go straight through, right? And so Jesus wants to go there. He's got a certain you know, time. He's got to be there. You know, basically, I, I need to go through, you guys, Samaria. I'm going to go die for your sins, you know. And, and they wouldn't let him. Can you believe that? They said, oh, you're just going to Jerusalem? No, you can't, you can't come through here. No, it's not... And, and, you know, that kind of might make you upset. I mean, this is the Lord. He loves you, man. You know, so what ends up happening? James and John says, I got an idea, Lord. Let's call fire down from heaven, man. Let's call fire down from heaven so that we can send them to hell. Right? And there is a confusion regarding the coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ right here, he says, the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives. I came to save them. You guys are off and you need to fix your thinking. You need to, you know, mend your heart. Here we see the Lord ministering to us something that's so important. There's confusion regarding his mission at this point, regarding the dispensation at this time. It was not time and it's still not time. Just in case you're wondering, it was not time And it's still not time to call fire down from heaven. 
Because I know sometimes we get mad. Or, Look what they're doing. God, kill them, you know. We're all excited. God, let there be like a massive earthquake or typhoon or something, you know. Tsunami. And it's like, wait a minute, you guys. You know, and then Christians are all, this is why they're doing it, man. This is what God is doing. You know, and don't get me wrong. You know, but in 9-11, Christians died. You know, don't make that blanket statement. Be so careful. Now, I'm not saying that, that God can't judge. Yes, he can still judge. He did Ananias and Sapphira. He did Herod. But that's not the dispensation that we live in. That's his call, not yours. Does that mean I can't teach about judgment, warn about judgment? No, I can. I can still teach about judgment. It's time to warn about judgment. But it's not time for judgment. Right now, we are living in a dispensation of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And that's the heart that we have to have. You know, we've been going doing a study over here in Clangerman. We're getting, you know, these little guys, 15, 17, 18, 20, 21, 22. It's so cool to see them coming to the Lord, you know. And I have to admit, there's a few of them that are glossy-eyed, if you know what I mean. You know, they're a little high. There might be some Christians that would go into a setting like that and say, what are you doing here, man? These guys... You know, they're high, you know, give them a punch or whatever, you know. And, 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 you know, God can do that. I understand God is the one and we have to be spirit-led. But generally speaking, man, I want to love them into the kingdom. I want to call fire down from heaven. Loving has to do with correcting. It has to do with warning. It's being firm, being fair, but checking your heart. And to just make sure that you don't have the heart of James and John. You know, right now, the mission, the commission, the liberation, the dispensation, understand this, is one of salvation. You know, John 3, I know you guys know verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But you've got to know the next verse to do. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Sometimes I think some Christians would rather condemn people than save people. And we have to have the right heart. And the Lord teaches us friction. You know, we can have friction against leaders, jockeying for position. It's ugly. We can have friction among the church. Oh, you don't hang with me. Ugly. We can have unnecessary division even in the world that we live in. Now, I know we're supposed to be set apart and not defiled by the things that they do, but sometimes we push people away when we should be drawing them to us. So God gives us the wisdom that we need in order to live this life as Christians who are trying to win people to the kingdom. Sometimes people say, why sin? And I sin against God and I sin in his face. And he hasn't given you know, me lightning. He hasn't judged me. And you can tell them, well, this is why, man, because we're living in a time of God's grace. And if you don't repent, you're going to build up judgment for yourself. But right now, God loves you. And God has given you this window of opportunity to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. See, that's where we're at right now. And we need to go fishing with that type of understanding. You know, one thing that's really cool is right here, what did James and John want to do? They want to call fire down from heaven, you know, so there'd be this big barbecue right there, right? All the people die, they go to hell, right? But the cool thing is, it's over in the book of Acts chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. You want to know what happened there? 
all of Samaria got saved. Isn't that cool? The whole village got saved. What if the Lord would have come three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago? How many of us here would be in hell right now? Many of us, huh? But the Lord's long-suffering, his love, the dispensation that we live in right now, what ended up happening is it brought us to him. And that's the type of heart that we need to have. Lord, help us to listen to your predictions regarding the future. Lord, help us to lessen the friction caused by ungodly ambition, ungodly division, and ungodly confusion regarding your nature and heart. And then the third thing is this. Help us, Lord, to live out the Great Commission. Because look what it says right here in verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. How many of you here want to be used by God to save people from hell, just out of curiosity, <laughs> I would say that's got to be our heart. Now, the things we're studying today are all in that place. God, use my life. God, work in my life so that I can be usable for your kingdom. And here we have some things regarding the commission that I think are very important for us to understand. The first thing we see is the loss of ministry. The loss of ministry. Matthew 8:19 says it was a scribe that came to Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, I'm ready to follow you wherever you go. We see that again there in our text. I'm ready, Lord, verse 57, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus essentially said, because he looks deeper, let me ask you a question, man. When you say wherever, do you mean wherever? When you say wherever, do you mean wherever or however or whenever? Do you mean wherever? Because if you don't mean wherever, do me a favor, don't say it. You see, that's the loss of the ministry. It's not our life, it's his life. The bottom line is there's a lot of Christians who basically say this, I've got a lot of limitations. And they can't say wherever. They can't say however. They can't say whenever. Jesus basically said this, the animals out there have greater creature comforts than I do. Are you willing to follow me like that? I think a lot of times we don't think about what we say. We're like, yeah, I'm fully surrendered. I'm absolutely surrendered. No, you're not. Because we're not willing to follow him wherever or whenever or however he calls us. You know, this guy came to Jesus. So Jesus didn't come to him. And so, you know, you've got to be really careful with the things that you say. You know, I think it's important to know that part of taking up our cross is a willingness to experience the loss of all things, things that we might consider to be fundamental. Believe it or not, they're detrimental to the calling of life and the ministry that we have. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. 
You see, the first thing we see is the loss of ministry. The second thing we see is the list of ministry. And it gets difficult. Look at verse 59. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, the first man we see here came to Jesus. This time, Jesus comes to the man. And Jesus Christ clearly calls the man. In verse 60, he calls the man. He calls the man to preach the kingdom of God. That's what he does, right? The first man didn't understand the proper loss that would be necessary. And the second man doesn't understand the proper list that is necessary. And what I mean when I say list is that God has got to be on the top of the list. If not, you will never, ever fulfill the calling in your life as a Christian. You see, you notice a few things here. Number one, the guy puts himself first. Look at verse 59. Lord, let me first. You might want to circle that right there. Me first? No good, okay? Me first. No, it's not good. And then he put his father before Jesus. He essentially said, when my dad dies, then I'll do what you want me to do. You know, and life as a Christian should never, ever consist of Jesus being anywhere but first on the list. You know, if you love yourself, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, if you love anyone or anything more than God, then you will never, ever complete the calling upon your life. Matthew 10, 37 and 38 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You see, when you read in the book of Genesis how they got married, right? And then they're supposed to leave father and mother. That's not just a marriage truth. That's a ministry truth. A lot of times the parents are still there lording it over their kids. And eventually you have to come to that place where not only do you come out of that, but you come out of this whole thing. You know, even to the point, if you can visualize it like this. Okay, you've got the list. I'm telling you guys about the list, right? Who's on the top? The Lord's on the top, okay? And you're like, okay, right underneath him is, no, it's not even like that, not even on the same page, okay? Maybe go over to page two, <laughs> and then there's your spouse. And then there's your kids. Why? Because the Bible even says this. Listen, Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And you're like, wait a minute, time out. God's calling me to hate my parents? God's calling me to hate my wife, hate my spouse, hate my children? No, but what he's saying is this, that your love for the Lord should be so greater than your love for anyone else that someone might consider, wow, look at that huge gap. You see, that's important for us to understand. You see, the loss of ministry is important. Jesus said, listen, wherever, you really mean wherever? Okay, cool. Then you're going to lose everything. That's got to be our heart. The list of ministry, God's got to be on top. And then the last thing we see right here is the look of ministry. Look what it says in verse 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first, there's again that problem, go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, that means no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, 
is fit for the kingdom of God. And I'll just share this with you guys real quick. You know, uh, every once in a while, something like this, okay, something like this. Um, we'll be leaving the church building, and then maybe I forgot something. And, you know, um, I know that if I come in, it's going to kind of slow me down, you know, because you've always got certain things that you got going on and uh, responsibilities like that. And in one sense, that's kind of what the Lord is saying, is saying, you know, don't go back. Oh, Lord, I just want to go back and bid them farewell, my family, and go, you know, see my my Uncle Henry and all these different things real quick, Lord, and then, you know, I'll go and do what you want. And the Lord looks deeper and he says, no, I see what's going on in your heart. You're looking back, huh? You want to go back to the comfortable life, huh? You want to go back to that place where the calling, the commitment is not taking you forward. Maybe you want to stay in some place that you don't belong. See, we need to make sure that we understand the look of ministry. You know, have you guys ever heard that phrase, window shopping? We're going to go window shopping. Okay, there's no such thing as window shopping. And that's not observation. That is temptation, I'm telling you right now. Right? How many husbands can say amen? (laughs) And that's basically what the Lord is saying. It's like, where are your eyes? Are you like Lot's wife? She looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus said, the lamp of the body is the eye. And if your eye is good, then everything's cool. You got your focus in the right place. But if you start looking back, man, I'll tell you what, you're going to mess yourself up. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes going forward. We need to pray, Lord, do a work. In this text today, help us, Lord, to listen to your prediction. Help us, Lord, to lessen the friction and help us, Lord, to live out the Great Commission. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. It's so awesome to just hope and pray, Lord, that you raise up mighty men of valor, guys that love the Lord so much that they would be willing to rise up and be ambassadors, absolutely surrendered to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, and that you would raise up women who love you so much, willing truly to make you number one in their lives, loving you more than anyone else, Lord. Do that work, Lord, in our life. We love you so much, Father. And Lord, I pray that you touch all the Christians here, and if there are any here today who don't know you, Lord, if there are any here today who aren't Christians. Father, I pray that right now they would know that they're not here by accident. Lord, that you brought them here and that you want to extend an invitation to them to be saved. And just as you guys are praying, man, all your eyes are closed, heads are bowed. I don't know, man, but maybe there's one or two of you here today who are not Christians. You come in here today and you're tired of your life. You come in today and you feel heavy laden, and you've got sins that you're trying to carry. You're walking it down, running condemnation. Just in case, man, real quick, I want to give you guys that maybe you want to give your life to Christ. You want to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus today. Maybe you've drifted away, and you want to come back. If that's you here today, understand Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. He was put in a grave, and he rose the third day. And he says, if you will trust in him, then he will wash away all your sins and you will be as white as snow. And when you die, according to that promise in his blood, then you will go to heaven. 
that's you here today and you want to receive Christ, right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you, man. This is the most important part of the service, man, giving your life back to Christ. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for the hands that have gone up, man. You put up that hand, and I tell you what, man, he reaches down and he'll lift you up. Anyone else? If your heart's beating, it's because there's a battle going on for your soul. Right now, the Lord wants you to raise your hand to just look up that you may be clean and forgiven. Anyone else? Lord, I thank you so much for those hands that went up, Lord. What an awesome God that you are. Father, I pray that those hands going up would basically mean, Lord, ah, we need you, we love you, forgive us, wash us of our sins, Lord, and make me right, Lord, lift me up and set me on the rock of living a life and following Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, please, God, that you would honor those hands that have gone up and that truly, Lord, you would just infuse them with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to walk that walk. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for the amazing God that you are and the work you're doing. Lord, continue, I pray, to bless your church. I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, maybe you're going through something.